now. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to uh, the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John 20 this morning. Gospel of John, John 20. And as you're going to John 20, uh, you maybe heard the story uh, about this man and this woman, this couple that had been married for 50 years, a long time. And uh, at one point in time, the guy got sick, and uh, he passed very quickly. And so the woman, of course, she was grieving. She was very, very sad. And after about a year, she was still grieving. She was still very, very sad. And so a friend of hers said, hey, you know, you might want to consider getting a pet as like a companion. So the lady went down uh, to the pet store and uh, just kind of wandering up and down the aisles and probably not an iguana, right? Um, probably not a snake, maybe a dog. So she went over and kind of petted some of the dogs and was like, no, not a dog. A cat? No, cats are too aloof, not going for a cat, right? And she's thinking to herself, oh, I just, I really would like a companion, someone to kind of help me uh, in, in all this season where I'm, I'm alone. So she went to the pet store owner and said to the pet store owner, you know, I could really use some companionship, someone, uh, an, a pet that I could talk to. And in fact, maybe that pet might even talk back to me. And the pet store owner said, I've got just the thing for you. You're looking for a parrot. And I've got just the parrot for you. Now, you got to know it's a little bit expensive, but this particular parrot, it is a real chatterbox. So the woman, you know, dishes out the money, gets the parrot, takes the parrot home. She comes back the next week and the pet store owner says to her, hey, how's the parrot? Just talking your ear off, right? She says, no, actually the parrot has not said a word. And the pet store owner says, well, that's strange. Well, do you have a mirror? And she said, no, I don't have a mirror. He said, well, what I have discovered is that sometimes when parrots have a mirror, they see themselves in the mirror, they think it's another parrot, and they just start talking. So the woman buys the mirror, takes it home, puts it in the cage. About a week later, she comes back to the pet store. Hey, how's the parrot doing? He's still not talking. And the pet store owner is like, that is really strange. That is, that's so odd. He said, well, do you, do you have a ladder? And she said, no, I, I don't have a ladder. And he said, well, you know, what I've discovered is that when you have a mirror, the parrot likes to look in the mirror and then it likes to go up and down the ladder and it just kind of gets the blood flowing in the parrot a little bit and pretty soon it just starts talking. So the woman buys a ladder. She takes it home. She puts it in the cage. The next week, she comes back to the pet store, and now she's a little bit irritated, and the pet store owner can kind of feel the tension in the room. Hey, how's your parrot? He's still not talking. Really? Well, do you have a swing? She said, well, no, I don't have a swing. He said, well, what I've discovered is when a parrot has a mirror to see itself, when it has a ladder to go up and down, and then when it has a swing, it just gets really excited, and then it starts talking. So the woman buys a swing. She takes it home and she puts it in the cage. The next week she comes back to the pet store and there is smoke coming out of her ears. She is mad. And the pet store owner says, how's the parrot? She said, the parrot is dead. He said, really? She said, oh yeah. He's just laying on the bottom of the cage. He said, that is so strange. 
Did your parrot ever say a word? Did your parrot ever talk? She said, yeah, actually, he did. He was laying on the bottom of the cage, taking his last flaps, his last breath. He looked up at me and said, don't they have any pet food down there? You know, as we go through the Bible, we read about a lot of stories. A lot of details in the Bible, right? Lots to pay attention to. But as Christ followers, we must never forget the most important thing of Scripture, the most important part of God's story, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the other stories are interesting, they're good, they're helpful, they help us to connect the dots a little bit, but today we're going to talk about the resurrection. The resurrection is the food of God's story, and it feeds everything else. It's the central event of all human history. And we celebrate the resurrection because this is who God is. This is what God does. He rises from the dead in the person of Jesus Christ. He defeats death. And then he invites us to also be resurrected through his son, Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about God of the resurrection today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, that you are with us, that you invite us, Lord, through all the seasons of life. And God, as we continue through your story, through your Holy Bible, God, there's so much to remember and there's so many details. But at the end of the day, God, help us to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that main thing is your son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross and rose from the grave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles, we're in John 20 this morning, and I'm going to go ahead and just read. Uh, this, this is going to be familiar for most of you. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she, looked over, uh, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. 
At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking this was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him so I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her on the, first, on the evening of the first day of the week. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's a familiar story. And I got to thinking this morning as we are celebrating the resurrection, the event of the resurrection, and who God is. That we live in strange times. We live in broken times. We live in sad times. And we live in times where it's not always uh, easy to know what the truth is. And so I thought this morning I would share with you uh, 12 reasons why I think the resurrection is true, why it actually happened, that it's not just a story that we read about, but it's a real live event of this guy by the name of Jesus who was hung on a cross, he died, and then three days he rose from the grave. And I know many of you this morning uh, have the outline. And so did anybody look at your outline yet this morning and fill in all the blanks? Because there's going to be a quiz at the end. And so I want you, I want to encourage you to follow along. And this can be a little bit participatory. So when we get to the blank, you just shout out what the answer is, okay? This is not just preacher guy standing up here and talking, uh, but this is participation. So 12 reasons I think the resurrection is true, uh, why it really happened. So number one, Jesus' resurrection was predicted blank in advance. Yeah, it was predicted in advance. You're looking at the slides. You guys can't participate. Okay, so you can have the answers if you volunteer on Sunday. There you go. Okay, back to the sermon. Psalm uh, 1610, which was written about a thousand years before Jesus came. This is what it says. You will not leave my body among the dead, nor will you let your Holy One rot in the grave. Think about that. A thousand years before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, it was prophesied, it was predicted, it was foretold that the Holy One, and of course Jesus is the Holy One, the only one who is sinless, He would not lie in the grave. His body would not rot in the grave. Number two. Jesus predicted that his own resurrection uh, from the dead. Oh, I just gave you the answer, didn't I? (laughs) Jesus predicted it. 
over and over as we read throughout the Gospels, this is what Jesus did, is he said, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise. This is pretty remarkable. There's several instances of this. I'm going to give you just one. This comes from Mark 8, uh, 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. I mean, he told them point blank, guys, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. And you got to think of all Jesus' miracles, of all of his teachings, they all pale in comparison to the resurrection. In fact, I would even argue if Jesus performed no miracles in his life, if he did no teaching, if he just stood before people and said, I'm going to die, this is how I'm going to die, and in three days I'm going to come back to life, I think that would be enough for us to worship him. I think that would be extraordinary enough for us to say, anybody who can predict their own death and resurrection and actually pulls it off, they get my vote, that's who I'm worshiping. And that's what Jesus did. He predicted it, and then he actually did it. Number three, Jesus' empty tomb was first discovered by Mary, or a woman, or women, right? Now this is very, very radical. In ancient times, women could not testify in court. They were viewed as their testimony was not reliable. It was not trustworthy. So if you were going to make up a story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you never would have had Mary or any women being the first one there. Because nobody would believe you. They just were not, and culturally, they just did not believe women, women's account to testify to these things. See, if you're going to make up a story of the resurrection, you would say, okay, Here's what, here's what happened. And then Peter, James, and John showed up at the empty tomb, right? And then Peter, James, and John had this conversation with Jesus. That's a way better story. That's a way more believable story. And I can about imagine as John is writing down this story, and he writes in here, Mary Magdalene went down to the tomb, and somebody is talking to him, John, you can't do that. Write in somebody else. Nobody's going to believe you. Mary Magdalene. He's like, that's how it happened. I'm going to write Mary down. Because she was the first one at the tomb. How else can you explain the resurrection? Doesn't make any sense. Number four. Jesus' disciples went from cowards to courageous. Again, if you read the Gospels over and over, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you follow the lives of the disciples. They were cowards. They were always running away. They were scared to death. And even on the day when Jesus was arrested, they scattered like flies. There was not a courageous one among them. And then there's Peter watching off to the side as Jesus is on trial and he's, he's hanging on a cross. And three times someone comes to him and says, hey, you're with that guy, right? He's like, I don't know him. He was such a coward. They were all cowards. 
But after the resurrection, after that event, all of a sudden they became some of the most courageous, bold, outspoken people. And they were the ones who over and over and over said, he rose from the grave, I saw it. I touched him, I talked with him, I had breakfast with him. And all the disciples, nearly all of them, were martyred. They were killed for their faith because they couldn't stop talking about the resurrection. They were completely different people before the resurrection and after the resurrection. There is no way to explain how someone, this group of people, could be such a group of cowards to be this group who were so courageous. Let's see, number... Five, thank you. Jesus blank worshipped him. His family. His family. Jesus' family worshipped him. Now, many of you know that I've got a brother who lives in Tennessee. He flips houses. And uh, my brother and I have had a great relationship for many years. We still have a great relationship. I think very highly of my brother. He's involved with his church. He's a good dad. He's a good husband. But if my brother said to me, I'm the son of God, you need to worship me. I'm just here to tell you that's not going to happen. I know my brother. I love my brother, but I know my brother. He's not the son of God. Jesus had three brothers, James, Jude, and Simon. And they all worshipped him, not, when, not before the resurrection, but after the resurrection, his three brothers worshipped him as the Son of God. Let me ask you, how many of you would worship your brother as the Son of God? Exactly. It would take a resurrection of your brother from the dead, right? To, for you to be convinced that he is actually the Son of God. How else can we explain that Jude, James, and Simon began worshiping Jesus, not before, but after the resurrection? And then Jesus' own mom, Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, before the resurrection, was her son. She just loved him and cared for him. But after the resurrection, Jesus' own mother, worshipped him as the Son of God. And so moms, I want to ask you, just moms, what would it take for you to worship your son as the Son of God? It would take a resurrection. Amen to that, right? Because we know our kids. It would take a resurrection. How else do we explain that Jesus' family worshipped him as the Son of God? Number six, some of Jesus' most bitter enemies began to blank Jesus. Worship, yeah, some of Jesus' most bitter enemies began to worship Jesus. Probably the most famous example is Paul. Before but before Paul met the resurrected Christ, he hated Jesus. He hated Christians. Paul was a, 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 a devout Jew. And Jesus said that he was the son of God. And, and Paul knew the Old Testament. He knew the teachings of God, that there is only one God and you are to serve him only. 
And so as this group of Christians, Christ followers, began to grow, Paul got really mad, he got really upset, and he started going after them. He started persecuting them. He actually killed people who called themselves Christians. That's how much Paul disliked Christians and Jesus. He couldn't stand them until the Apostle Paul met the resurrected Christ. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, couldn't stop talking about Jesus and how he rose from the grave. It's recorded in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul wrote. So this is what Paul wrote uh, to the church. He said, I have passed on to you what was most important and what has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures say. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and the twelve, and after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at the time, most who are still alive, although some have died. Then he was seen by James and all the other apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all apostles." In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church. Before the resurrection, Paul was not a nice guy to the church. And after the resurrection and him experiencing the resurrected Christ, he was the chief church planter. He couldn't stop traveling around the Mediterranean world, planting churches and preaching day after day after day, talking about the resurrected Christ. How else can we explain the transformation of the Apostle Paul? Number seven, Jesus blank to crowds of upwards of 500 people for 40 days. Appeared. Yeah, he appeared to uh, crowds of up to 500 And sometimes uh, it wasn't just like in a big, massive crowd. Sometimes it was just a group of 10 or 20. It was smaller groups. And he didn't just show up and stand there and, and preach or talk. But he hugged people. They had conversations. They would sit down around the fire and, and have breakfast together. And they would ask him questions. They spent time together. There were so many witnesses, so many eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. It wasn't just a handful of guys. It wasn't just his family. There were hundreds and hundreds of people. He appeared to uh, up to 500 people. Number eight, Jesus' tomb was not blank, enshrined. His tomb was not enshrined. When we lose a loved one, when a loved one dies... Put them in the ground, right? We put up like a tombstone. Sometimes we take flowers. Sometimes we write a letter and it's, it's our way of grieving, right? This is, this is what we do when we lose someone, when someone dies, when someone leaves this earth. But for Jesus, he was only there three days. There was no point in putting up a shrine. Now, if you look at every major world religion today, there is a shrine there to a dead person. Abraham was the founder of uh, Judaism. 
So if you were to go to Hebron today in the Palestinian territories, you would see a shrine to a dead guy, Abraham. If you were a Muslim and you went to Saudi Arabia, to Medina, you would see a shrine of a dead guy, Muhammad, who is enshrined in this tomb. Buddha. There's a shrine to Buddha in India today. You can go to India today and you can see a grave, a shrine to a dead guy. But not Jesus. There's no shrine to a dead guy because there was no need for them to build a shrine. Why would, if, if he's still dead, why would they have not built a shrine to a dead guy like all the other major religions? It's because he rose from the grave. There is no other explanation why there is no shrine to this dead guy, Jesus, because he rose. Number nine, Jesus' resurrection was recorded blank after it occurred. Shortly. It was recorded shortly afterwards. Sometimes people say, yeah, the Bible was written hundreds of years later. It's just a myth. It's just a legend. It's just made up stories. The problem with that argument is it's simply not true. People who have been studying scripture for generations. They understand and have studied and can come to the conclusion that many of the New Testament letters were written just years shortly after the resurrection. And remember, there were eyewitnesses. So if somebody wrote a particular book in the Bible or a particular piece and said, hey, I saw the resurrection, I witnessed Jesus, somebody else could have said, yeah, I, that didn't happen. There were lots and lots of eyewitnesses. Scripture was written very shortly after the resurrection. Number 10. Jesus' followers changed their blank from Saturday to Sunday. Sabbath. Yeah, I mean, think about this. These are all Jewish people. And these Jewish people, for thousands of years, every Saturday would stop their work. And then for six days, they would work. Work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. Always on Saturday. This is how God designed it in the book of Genesis, right? When God was creating the world. And then, of course, every Jewish person knew the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This was the rhythm for these devout Jewish people. Even if you weren't a devout Jew, this is what you did as you practiced Sabbath rest on Saturday. All this changed after the resurrection. How can we explain that before the resurrection, it was on Saturday, and after the resurrection, people began to worship God and Jesus Christ on Sunday, the day of the resurrection. This massive shift in people's daily calendars and schedules throughout the week. I think it can only be explained that Jesus actually rose from the grave and people said, you know what? We need to change from Saturday to Sunday because that's when Jesus rose. That's um, what, what he did. And so we're, we're just going to change how all this works. Number 11. Jesus' followers started practicing blank and blank. Baptism and communion. Baptism and communion. 
Now before this, of course, every good Jewish person would practice a Passover or the Seder meal. Once, once a year you would gather together for Passover. But remember what Jesus did on the night in which he was betrayed? They were sharing a meal. He took bread, broke it, and said, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. That was not in the script of the Passover. The script of the Passover said, Remember way back when, when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery? He said, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Jesus redefined what this was, the bread and the wine. And it all happened right around the resurrection. The sacraments all of a sudden became instituted. All of a sudden the sacraments came out of nowhere, right? And people started practicing sharing in Holy Communion as a regular way to remind one another that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. In baptism, people started regularly practicing baptism. And how we as Christians, as Jesus followers, understand the sacrament of baptism is that a person goes under the water they die to themselves and they come up out of the water and they are resurrected. I mean, the imagery is so powerful. That's what baptism is. Die to self, rise to Christ. It's that celebration that not just Jesus rose from the grave, but when I am baptized in Christ, I will also rise from the grave. And that all happened around the resurrection. Why would this group of uh, ragtag Jewish people all of a sudden start proclaiming this if it wasn't actually true? Number 12, Jesus' resurrection is verified by history. Sometimes we call this extra-biblical sources. People outside of the Bible wrote about and recorded uh, the story of Jesus Christ. Perhaps the most famous historian is a guy by the name of Flavius Josephus. He wrote a, a book called Antiquities. And Josephus was a Jewish general in the Roman army. He was not a Jesus follower. He never followed Jesus that we are aware of, but he wrote this book called Antiquities. He was a historian. And this is what Josephus wrote. He said, about this time lived a man, uh, a wise man. His name was Jesus, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was an achiever of extraordinary deeds and a teacher of those who accept the truth gladly. He went over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. When he was indicted by the principal men among us and Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him originally did not cease to do so. For he appeared to them on the third day restored to life as the prophets of the deity had foretold them and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of Christians so named after him has not disappeared to this day. Joseph, jo Josephus was not trying to argue, hey, you ought to believe in this guy. 
He was just writing history. He was just trying to document this group called the, the Jesus followers, the Christians. And so there are resources and sources outside of the Bible that testify that Jesus rose from the grave, that the resurrection really happened. Now, these are my 12. These are 12 reasons why I think Jesus actually rose from the grave. And I think the burden of proof is on those who say he didn't. Because I think the evidence is too overwhelming. So much changed in that moment, in those few days and weeks, in those 40 days that Jesus walked on the earth. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we define time, B.C., and A.D., based on the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is you, you look at your clock. This is how we look at time and the calendar. It's based on the life of Jesus. He changed everything. And so this morning, I just want to close. There's a story from, from John 11. And Jesus was going to meet a friend of his because her brother died. And he went to visit her, and as he showed up, she was so sad, and she was grieving. She said, Jesus, my brother died. And if you had been here, he went to die. You could have done something. You could have healed him. And I can about imagine that this woman was thinking to herself, not only am I sad that my brother died, but it also I'm confronting the reality of my own death. That one day, one day I too will die. And so Jesus looked at her. It's recorded in John 11, verse 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he looked at Martha and he said, do you believe this? And so today, we've come to this part of God's story in Scripture. And I want to remind you, that same promise is for you. That anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, anyone who is in Christ, will never die. But because Jesus rose from the grave, you too can de defeat death and live with Jesus for all eternity. You know, of all the, the 12 pieces of evidence that I shared with you this morning, why I think the resurrection is true, why it really happened, I think the most important reason why the resurrection is true, why it really happened, is because how Jesus continues to change lives today. When we meet the resurrected Christ, he does something in us. He forgives our sins. He loves us in ways that we cannot explain. He gives us hope. He gives us peace in ways in which the world cannot understand. See, I think you all are the greatest testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what God has done in your life and the ways in which you have trusted in him and believed in him. And because of your trust and because of your faith, 
you have this incredible hope and this peace that, that it's all good, that death has been defeated, that you will live with Jesus Christ forever. I think you are the greatest witness uh, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is the good news that we celebrate today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, that in the midst of all the stories of Scripture that are interesting, that are helpful, that are help us to really ponder and reflect on who you are and whose we are, the most important story, your most important attribute is that, God, that you have defeated death, that the end of the story was not you hanging on a cross, but that you rose from the grave and you continue to transform hearts and minds just as you did in the early church. So God, as your church today, may we be resurrection people. May we never grow weary, never grow tired, never grow complacent of celebrating and proclaiming your good news that you have risen from the grave and that you continue to transform hearts and minds in this life and in this world and that we get to live with you for all eternity. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.